wicked, wicked fly. This is your summer. That means Six Flags in the taste of an ice-cold Coca-Cola. We're talking thrilling coasters, delicious burgers, yes. real moments together, and this. Coke is summer refreshment when you need it most, so you can hop on another ride or race down a slide at the water park. This is your summer. Six Flags and Coca-Cola. Come make it yours. Visit sixflags.com slash coke to save up to $20 on passes. We can fly. This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for Avoid the Maze. And my guest today is Rick Wolf. And I met Rick on a special site called Podmatch.com. And when I read his bio, I figured, you know what? We're all on a journey. And um, in some ways, our journeys are, are very similar. But along the way, uh, sometimes we can get lost or run into obstacles or just find those challenges that make us scratch our head and say, what am I supposed to do next? What I noticed in Rick's bio was a phrase he used, why do we exist? And as he just told me, he can't tell me why I exist or you but he can tell us why he does. So Rick, welcome to Avoid the Maze and uh, give us a little bit of information here. Um, I guess we can start with me. Um, I'm um, retired. Um, I was a, uh, in public education for 43 years, uh, retired as an assistant superintendent of schools. Um, really loved what I did. Um, just, uh, I used to joke with people. I said, you can't, I can't believe they pay me to do this. Um, kind of goes back to why we exist. Um, but then um, upon retirement, it was um, almost starting what I will refer to as the, the second gig, um, getting to do some things that I've always wanted to do. And that included um, doing some writing, uh, continuing to do some personal coaching, uh, help uh, people and organizations become better versions of themselves. So um, it's been a lot of fun um, and it's continuing. It's um, every day is a new adventure. And I love to hear the fact that you spent the majority of your time in one basic field, but mm -hmm. realized, you know, retirement doesn't necessarily mean that we come home we sit in a rocking chair and we just, you know, dream about the fact that we don't have to go to work anymore. Because for many of us, whether we want to believe it or not, even when we retire, um, based on today's society and economy, many of us still do need to work. But if we can do the things that we really love to do, mm -hmm. it's not going to feel like work. And that's basically what you said about your your major career all your life. Right, it was, it was for me, it was never a case. Um, in fact, I, I didn't refer to it as working. Um, when you work in public education, I simply said, I went to school every day. <clears throat> I went to school um, and, I, I, and I learned. Um, I think that perspective on, on life, um, you know, there are people who 
uh, as you guys said, they, they, they say, I'm going to work until someday I can retire. Um, but my question becomes to those people, um, is it work you're doing or define for me a little bit more what you were doing? Um, I learned a long time ago, I, I remember reading a book, there are certain books we read along the way. And one of the books I read many, many years ago uh, was Ken Robinson's uh, book, The Element, um, where he plays with I, that idea of, are you in your element? Um, and he said, we are all basically on a journey. Some of us are fortunate enough to find our element, what, what really gives us satisfaction in life early. Others, it takes more time. <clears throat> Sometimes it takes until you retire, when you can finally say, now I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, I was lucky. I found it very early. Um, and in fact, I stayed uh, of the 43 years in public education. Uh, I worked for two employers. Uh, the last 37 were for the same employer, um, working in a school district where I live, where my son went to school. Um, where I used to refer to the people there as my, my, my family. Uh, so it was not at all like work. It was really something, it was a lot of, I had a lot of fun every day. And <clears throat> that actually contributed to the second part of, of what I do now. Um, and I'm still having fun. And um, it's not, you know, I think when we get to that, people talk about retirement. Um, I think it's a horrible word. <laughs> I do too. I agree. Totally. You know, it's interesting because um, my father had many challenges um, when we were growing up in business. And um, he, you know, if I did a timeline, I would see he probably had about 10 different jobs um, and careers for those jobs uh, while I was growing up. And um, in the 70s, he had open heart surgery. And back then, open heart surgery was still a new phenomenon. And basically, he was told he had to retire. And mm -hmm. once he recuperated, I remember him writing to my brothers and myself, because we had all moved out of the house, and saying, this retirement is for the birds. <laughs> and we said... Well, you know, go outside and um, bird watch that. And he said, no, I'm going to start doing what I've always wanted to do. And they lived in a very small um, townhouse, but he had a basement. And he went down there and he started becoming a furniture maker. Mm -hmm. And um, all the talent that he had, like, all those years, now he was finally using it. And he was the happiest man I'd ever seen. Um, and sadly, if he had found that earlier in his life, I think, you know, that would have been even better for him. But at least he found it. And that's mm -hmm. what I want people to understand, that it's up to us to find those elements that make us feel good. Mm -hmm. It is. It's up to us. I think we need to. <clears throat> a lot of it's how we view our life. It's how we, it's actually how we live our life. Uh, one of the points that I've made uh, in the past is, is I, I have a, what I refer to as a values driven life. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I work with organizations um, 
and do I do executive coaching and organizational coaching. And with uh, I've worked with a number of organizations when they're um, looking at themselves and saying, not that we have to reinvent ourselves, but um, let's let's relook at our mission, let's look at our vision, that type of thing. And I always go back to very basics. And I said, fine, let's let's start with our the organizational values. And uh, on more than one occasion, I've worked with organizations where, I, where I'm working with senior leadership. And I say, okay, everybody write down the values that drive this organization. <laughs> and there's a hesitancy because, okay, we talk about them all the time, but when you're asked, you're simply now, what are they? Uh, and I'll stop at that point and I'll say, let's, let's do something else before. What are the values that drive your life? And that's where I have found more often than not, most people, um, there's a hesitant, you know, we don't think about that. And I think it's fascinating that we expect organizations to have values. But when we say personally, okay, what are, what are the values that drive your life? People will stop and say, I've never really thought about that question. Well, to me, if you, if you really want to understand your life, if you want to know where you're going, you have to understand the values that drive it. In my particular case, I have four values that drive my life. Very simply, my faith is my compass. My family is my strength. My word is my honor. My service is my gift. Those are the four. And everything else emerges from that. So, uh, you know, I think when you, when you start to think about that, you have those types of things that starts to give you more direction. And as we start to look for things in our life, what makes us happy? Where are we, where do we need to be? We go back and look at those values and say, yeah, this is where I measure it against. They become the standards that we measure against. You know, it's interesting because when I was working in corporate America, um, and that I'm going back almost nine, 10 years at this point, um, every Friday we had a group meeting and the manager would go around the room and either, what is your favorite song? What is your favorite book? What is your favorite movie? And I was going through a tough time. I loved the work that I was doing, but I didn't like the culture I was in. And so, and I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't know what was pulling at me. And I'd sit in those meetings and I never had an answer. I knew I had favorite books. I knew I had favorite movies and music and foods. But when asked, it was like, I didn't even want to answer. I didn't want to have to think about those things. But when I left corporate America, I sat down and I realized, what is it about me? Just like you're talking about, okay? What gives me that drive to wake up in the morning, to do the things that I do? And what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Because basically I was put in a position where I was forced to retire. I had thought that someday they were going to find me down underneath my desk because I had died during the night, putting in all those hours. And I was so glad I had that opportunity to find myself because 
I feel like this is a new life. And I think we all have that opportunity. And, mm-hmm. too, and too many people miss it because they look at the calendar and they go, oh, I'm 50, I'm 70, I'm 80. How much more time do I have? Whatever time that is, make it your mm-hmm. best. Yeah, I think it's um, it, it's a case of really, I, I play with the age as a number. Um, as, as I, as I, uh, you probably heard me say at one point, um, I suffer from the Peter Pan syndrome. Uh, I don't want to grow up and I don't want to get old. Um, I, I go to the gym every day. Uh, I have a trainer I work with who says, you know, she says, you know, remember you're 70, you're trying to do stuff that, no, it's, it, that's, that is a number. It, it will, and I won't let that number define me. Um, I won't let the, a term like retirement define me. I, I need to define myself. Right. And I think that's what anybody needs to do. They need to define who they are, what they derive enjoyment from. Um, and in, in many, you know, hopefully what they really derive enjoyment from is that thing <laughs> that others call work. Okay. But it's what they call, it's what I do every day. And I happen to get paid for it. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, if you can find that, that's wonderful. And if you don't find it in what I call the first go round, okay. Um, one of the things, other things that um, is interesting and it, it's, it's, I think something that's really impacted me um, in, in the book that I wrote, uh, one of the entries, it, it's, uh, I took it from a, um, a, a gentleman uh, who had written a story many years ago, Edward Meadows. He wrote um, a story called, And Then It Was Winter. And it really talks about the winter of your life. Um, I I read that and I said, I'm going to take this. And I gave him credit for what I'm going to call the concept because he was really reflecting on his life from the standpoint of winter as the end end of the thing. I'm an avid golfer. Uh, So I wrote a similar story, but it was simply called The Back Nine. And where the, the concept is, I'm on the back nine of my life, quote, according to the numbers, okay? But I can use that back nine experience as I move on, because uh, I plan to play another course. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be my last course. And so how can I use everything, even what's going on right now, okay, to look forward? Um, <clears throat> statistically, okay, I'm in my 70s. This I quote, statistically, is my last decade. Um, I like to view myself as a rule breaker, okay? I plan to be around for a few more. And uh, so it's, it's really taking that frame of mind, um, taking the values that I think guide my life, okay? And moving forward with that, and what I find out is in doing that, um, I greet each day really um, not as... <laughs> Oh my God, so I've got one less. Actually, it's a new opportunity. This is a new opportunity. Today is an opportunity to do some things I haven't done before. Uh, and so let's make it a memorable day. And, you know, I think our culture has um, taught us, sadly, to look at it as, you know, is this my last day? 
However, I was very lucky. I was brought up in a home with two parents who always looked at it. One more, one more, and one more. And what mm -hmm. else can I do? Um, in my parents' 80s, um, they decided that my mother loved to bake. My father, my father loved to share my mother's uh, baking with people. So they went out and started a muffin business. They rented a pizza place where they used the ovens in the middle of the night. And my father would sit there while my mother baked. And when she was done baking, he'd take all these muffins to offices and go up and down the aisles and sell the muffins. And my brothers and I looked at them. We said in the beginning, why are you doing this? You're not making any real money. And they said, but we love doing it. Mm -hmm. My father said, I'm proud of your mother. Your mother loves to bake. So, so we get up a couple hours earlier. And that's when I realized, you know, they were still looking ahead. There was still life in front of them. And they weren't going to count that out right. until something happened. And um, I, I love that because that's how I look at my life today. I think one of the, one of the, what's interesting is there is this perspective that as we get older, okay, there are unfortunately expectations, okay? As you get older, you won't do certain things. You'll, you'll, slow, quote, you'll slow down. Um, and I think unfortunately, too many people buy into that. We need to look at the fact that, you know, as we get older, as we maybe have more time on our hands, there's greater opportunity for us to do things that we hadn't done before, to, to experience things that, that we hadn't had before. Um, you know, I've had people say to me, you know, when are you going to slow down? Um, probably when I drop, that's when I'll slow down. Um, and, and, but enjoyment can also be, you know, what's neat about it is I'll take time every day um, to sit out on my deck, okay? And, uh, as some, a number of my friends know, one of my greatest um, pleasures in life is to sit down at the end of the day, you know, as the sun's going down, to, to pour a bourbon, to light a cigar, and just to sit back and take everything in. You know, it's that mindful moment. Um, but it, I'm not doing it because I'm old. I'm doing it because it's what I wanna do at this moment in my life. No different than um, wanting to go to the gym or to uh, have a day where my wife says, so your day's starting at nine o'clock you know, you're going to be back at this time. And, you know, um, I thought you were retired. Um, it's so it's, it's that type we can choose. Okay. As we get older, doesn't mean we have to slow down, uh, or buy into the idea that, well, I'm in the, I'm in those final years of my life. No, <laughs> you're in the best years of your life. <laughs> I, and I, and I love this conversation for so many reasons. Um, because again, I grew up in that era where, and I was writing about it this morning, um, my grandmother um, passed away uh, on my ninth birthday and she was in her seventies. And um, she was an uh, immigrant from Russia 
And when I look at the pictures of her when she came over from Russia and what she looked like when she was in her 70s, very little change. Um, and yet she looked like an older woman most of her life. And I look in the mirror and um, I'm the same age she was when she passed away. And it's like, but that's not me. There, there's been a big change in our society. And, but growing up, that's what I pictured myself as. You know, you're going to get to that age, whether it's 40, 50, and you're going to be old and you're going to slow down. And no, I haven't. Um, I still look in the mirror. Yeah, there are some days I say, yeah, you're 71 years old. And there are other days I look at myself and I go, I feel like a 16 year old. Okay. Um, and we have those choices that we can make. And I think that's important. And I think that's really why we exist, because we get to choose. Mm -hmm. We get to choose. And, and you know, it was interesting in the, in the beginning, uh, you asked that question about, you know, why are we here? Uh, what are we, you know, and I think in my particular case, somebody says, why are you here? Um, it's an interesting question because I think the answer to that changes as we move through life. Um, and if somebody said to me right now, why are you here? Um, it's probably uh, would be, there would be so many reasons. It would be, I would go back. It would be um, to, to serve God, um, to, to be, uh, I, 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 a story I'll share with you about quote being old. I had a laugh um, about two years ago on, on New Year's Eve. Um, my cousin called me and he, you know, we talked, he said, Hey, I'm calling really with some sad news. Uncle Bob died. And I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And he said, so you know what that means? And I said, no, I said, not really. He said, you're now the family patriarch. And he said, and I said, so what's that mean? And he, had, he said, guess that means you're the next one to die. <laughs> I just kind of laughed because I said, you know, I said, well, you're only two weeks younger than me, so I'm not going to be the next one. But it was this whole idea of, you know, why, <coughs> excuse me, why are we here? And so I go back to those values. Okay. And at this point, one of the things is I think I'm here to share ideas and hopefully, hopefully make people's lives better. Uh, by because I now have the time where I can volunteer and do those things. Uh, I'm here uh, to write. Um, the I had a laugh. Um, uh, as you're probably where I, I wrote a book that um, got published last November. Uh, Before I sleep, the book is and I write every um, every Sunday night. I publish it a little blog. Um, it's it, it's really thoughts of things that either happened during the week, something I heard uh, this past weekend was called um, The Sleepover. And it was simply a story about the fact that my three grandchildren came to stay with me last weekend. And what it was like to have a, a, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old and a four-year-old come to your home for a weekend and you know what it went on. But what I finished with is really, what are some thoughts we need to take away, away 
from that. And, and, you know, one of those is to embrace life, to embrace the opportunities we have, to make sure that we say to people, I love you, because we don't know when we're going to see right. them again. So these blogs that I write every week, somebody said to me, I've, I've been writing them since I retired in 2016. Um, and I've probably at this point, you know, written over 300. And somebody said, well, why do you write them? And I said, because I have ideas to share and it's a way of getting them out. And one of the comments was, well, why don't you charge money? Because that would make it work. Right now it's not work, it's fun. And I'll keep it that way as long as I can. As I said, the only reason I became an author was because a publisher read my blog and called me and said, Rick, you have five books here. <laughs> Let me wow. help you put them together. Yeah. So, I published a book. I'm, a, I'm an accidental author. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because when I started blogging and then started podcasting, um, I was asked numerous times, why do you think you, you can do this? What makes you a blogger? What makes you a podcaster? And I said, the steps I take, the fact mm -hmm. that I'm doing it. Am I the best? That's for other people to choose. I don't care, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm here basically like you said, to share what I've experienced, but to listen to others who have had experiences too, so we can help mm -hmm. each other, so I can be more aware. Um, I interviewed, uh, one of my first interviews eight years ago, um, was a gentleman who I knew we had polarizing opposite views on absolutely everything. And everyone said to me, why are you interviewing him? And I said, because if I interview him, I have to listen and I have to be neutral. And I said, when I hear him talking and I'm not interviewing him, I sometimes get really upset. And I realized it's because I wasn't truly listening. And it made such a difference in everything I've done in my life since, because I sit back, I listen, and I don't have to agree, but I need to understand. I need to understand Steve, why Stephen we are Covey. different. Steve, yep. Stephen Covey, seek first to understand. Yep, exactly. Yep. And, and, that's, and that's the issue with age today too, okay? Mm -hmm. Ageism has become a word that we throw around a lot that everybody is like up in arms about. I'm too young at 20. I may be the right age at 35, but once I hit 45, I'm on the downward slope. Well, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. We have to take the steps to keep climbing. And we have to let other people know of our value. I think I think not only let people know our value, but but to live the life, okay? To to be the person who's out there where people say, "My, you're still doing this? Like, why are you doing this? Because I love it. Because I'm I'm experiencing it. Okay. I, I want people to know that once you pass, you know, as you said, 45, 50, 55, 60. Um, you know, I like your term at that time. You're 71. You feel like a teenager. I, I said I'm a golfer. And um, I was talking one day uh, with a friend. And, and when I turned 70, 
Um, and he said, Rick, it's just like golf in your handicap. He said, you're, you're a gross 70. He said, but I see you as a net 45. He said, I'm just giving you a handy, a handicap at 25. You know, he said, you, you know, you're only, it's the way you think about things. And, and that's really what I think it comes back down to. Um, what are some things that guide us as we get older? Um, and if we keep that idea in mind that, you know what, um, we're like a rare, we're like a rare wine. Uh, yeah, you become older, uh, but you become a little bit better too. Um, and, and how do we make ourselves better? Uh, how much reading do we do? Um, you know, it, it was funny, you were talking about, um, you know, why are we here? As I said, uh, you know, with, with the book I wrote before I sleep, um, that's really just a series of ideas. But one of the things I put into there was between each of the stories and the stories are really one, two minute reads. I put a journaling page that asks you to really reflect on the story and go back to think about why you're here and reflect on, on your current day, but actually, how can I improve tomorrow? Um, I recently read another book that I think was powerful, um, The Cafe on the Edge of the World, which really plays with three ideas. Um, why are you here? Do you fear death? And are you fulfilled? And, and it, it talks about that concept, you know, um, <clears throat> A lot of people say as we get older, you know, death is, is closer. Now, then how do you view death? You, is it something you fear or is it, well, that's the reward. <laughs> so if it's closer, you know, hey, I'm moving toward that reward. Um, should do that joyfully. It's, it's a perspective we bring to things. It's how we view ourselves. Um, and I think at times, um, when we, when we view ourselves as, as being younger in thought and everything else, it sends a strong message to other people who say, you know what, maybe, maybe, maybe that person, you know, understands something I don't. Absolutely. Well, I remember um, about 15 years ago, it was during the Christmas holidays and um, I'm in an interfaith marriage. So one day we're celebrating Hanukkah, the next day we're celebrating Christmas, you know, um, but we live in an area where our family is nowhere around us. And I got on Facebook feeling very low that day. You know, here it is, another, you know, holiday, all alone. Oh, woe is me. And my older brother got on the phone and called me. He saw it and he said, don't expect me to make you happy. Don't expect your husband or your son or all those people that you think you should be with today. He said, make yourself happy. And I remember yelling at him on the phone saying, it's, you know, just so upset. Why can't my friends invite me to be with them? Why doesn't my family say, hey, pack up and come visit us? And he said, would it really make you happy? With that, he hung up the phone and it was like, now what? And I had to think about it. And once I thought about it, I thought, you know what? There are things I can do to make myself happy. And that's what I started doing from that moment forward. Now, it doesn't mean I'm perfect every single day. I can still have my downtimes. Um, I can still have my couple minutes pity party if I really need to. 
But the reality of it is, um, as I sit in my studio, I look out the window and even though I don't like Northeast Ohio winters, okay, um, I look out and I go, okay, well, it's 50 days till spring, 40 days till spring, 20 days. Um, and you know what? That makes me happy, okay? Not wishing the time away, but just knowing, like you said, it's something to reach for. It's something to go for. And I think we all can do that, um, but we just have to allow ourselves to. And so many of us don't. It's, um, we, it's interesting you talk about the concept of happiness. Um, some of my uh, graduate work uh, was at the um, University of Pennsylvania uh, in the School of Positive Psychology with Martin Seligman um, and, and through that program, I got to look at a number of things. And um, one of the professors who I met there was actually a professor at Wharton, uh, Richard Schell. And um, he has a, um, a book that uh, I read and it talks about happiness. He actually teaches a course uh, in happiness. Uh, and you think about, you know, when you think about a Wharton professor um, and it's called Springboard. Um, the, the, the book's called Springboard. And he, he talks about a, um, something that actually happened at Penn <clears throat> at Wharton on a weekly basis. There are lectures that are given. And there was a, a lecture being given on the, the study of happiness. And he said, he's sitting there and these are open lectures anybody can walk into. And um, he said, he's listening and the guy's up there explaining, you know, going over some of the uh, numbers and uh, really looking at it from a statistical standpoint, doing studies of different things in Australia and around the world. And he said, as he, the door opens and people turn in walks this, <clears throat> what looks to be almost a, an elderly gentleman, but he looks to be almost like a construction worker. Flannel shirt on, the jeans, the beard, <clears throat> got a brown bag. And he sits down, he's listening and this guy's up front going over all the statistics and <clears throat> he kind of, there's a loan, he raises his hand and, and his comment is simply this. He says, he says you know, I'm just a, a, just a plain guy working down at a construction site. And I know you people know much more than I do. But he said, as I see it, when we talk about happiness, you really only need three things to make you happy. You need meaningful work. You need good health. And you need love. If you have those three things, you should be happy. He said, now, if you'll excuse me, I have to get back to work. He leaves. And Shell says there's quiet. And then this guy up front starts back in statistical theory. And Shell said, I stood up and said, excuse me. He said, I think we were just visited by a wise angel. And he gets up and goes out and looks up and down the street. He couldn't find the guy. But I still those words at that time stuck with me because people say, you know, <clears throat> I'm not happy. Well, then the question, what would make you happy? And I really thought about that. <clears throat> if you have meaningful work, if you have love, <clears throat> if you've got good health, <clears throat> you should be happy. <laughs> well, it makes a lot of sense to me. And mm -hmm. 
one of the things that I have shared on this program numerous times is that sometimes the work we have to do to put the food on the table may not seem so meaningful, but there are other things that we can do in our life to compensate for it. And that's what I started to do when I was at corporate America, knowing that I was leaving was like, you know, one of those Fridays where I was asked, you know, what is your favorite food? And I wanted to just yell and scream, what difference does it make? When I walked out of there, I realized, you know what? You've got to do something that makes you feel good and you're not doing that. And so once I started it, it was like when somebody would say, hey, what is your favorite food? You know, I could come up with some ideas. I knew that there were certain things I like. What's your favorite book? Well, maybe I forgot exactly what the title was, but I could tell you all about it. Mm -hmm. That's when I realized, hey, you know, you've got to find time for those meaningful things. You have to have purpose. And sometimes part of that purpose is working a nine to five job that may not be all that meaningful to you but it is because it's putting food on your table. And so you got to look at it that way as well. Right. And I think, you know, when I I look back at it and um, when people talk about meaningful work, okay, all work is meaningful. You know, I don't care what what the person's doing. They're they're making an effort. And I can point out almost any job that anybody does that makes my life better. Okay. I don't care if, if it's, um, an attorney out there somewhere who's helping me that way, or if it's the um, kid who's bringing the uh, carts in, you know, across the parking lot to the grocery store so that I have a cart that I can use I go through, uh, that, that's meaningful work. Right. It, it's, it's helping me out. And I think one of the things that we can do if we really want to understand happiness is those little things that happen to say to that person, when that kid brings that in or that guy brings that in across that cold parking lot, you know, to look at them and say, thank you, I appreciate what you're doing. That moment for that person, okay, has just made what they did meaningful because they did something for somebody else. And, and the fact that somebody would take time to thank them for what they're doing, that's probably one of the things I look at that I've learned, quote, over the years in my later part of my life, we need to express gratitude more. And, and, and when we express gratitude to people, it does two things. It helps them and it actually helps us. Okay, it makes us feel better that we have expressed thanks to somebody else or it can be something that most people would say, it's, I do it all the time, why are you thanking me for it? Because you do it all the time. And if nobody else has thanked you, I want you to know I appreciate it. Those are sometimes too where we find those moments of happiness and we create moments of happiness. And that's important. Absolutely. You know, it reminds me, my husband said to me a couple of weeks ago, he said, am I really looking that old? Because all of a sudden people are holding the door open for me. (laughs) And I said, well, I see you every day. So I can't say yes or no. I said, but what do you say when they do it? And he goes, oh, I thank them, you know, but he said, then 
as soon as they open it for me, I'm opening it for somebody else. And I said, and that's the way we all have to do it. We mm -hmm. have to keep paying it forward. He said, but it's just happening all of a sudden. And I said, well, you know what? Maybe people are being kinder. And so I appreciate the fact you're recognizing it and you're doing it in return. And it's not that he's never done it before, but he said now he's more aware of it. Um, mm -hmm. And he said the other day, he said he opened the door for a little girl. And the little girl said to him, no, I'm supposed to open the door for you. He said, okay, I'll let you. So he held it open so she could hold it. And then he walked through <laughs> and he thanked her. Um, and I'm sure that made her day. I'm sure, yeah. you know, she looked at it as, you know, this was a nice man. Um, and in the world that we're living in today, especially everything that's going on globally, that little bit of kindness can certainly make a difference in our lives. Oh, makes a huge difference. Makes a huge difference. I mean, anything we can do to make somebody else's life better, that's, you know, I go back to the value. Um, my service is my gift. Whether that be opening a door, whether it be making a comment, whether it be uh, writing a thank you note. Um, you know, I, I laugh. Um, my wife, um, um, I guess, when, when COVID first started, everybody was talking about things. We started, it's continued. Every Friday when the trash guys come, they get to our house, um, there's a cooler there. And uh, it's got drinks in it and maybe some donuts or cookies or something like that. And they, they say, you know, I'm amazed. You know, nobody else does this. And it's like, well, we appreciate everything you do. Um, and, uh, you know, they just, they're appreciative of it. And uh, they try and make us happy because they bring the can back up the driveway. <laughs> so they even said to us one time, you don't have to bring them down. We'll come up and get them. I said, no. We'll bring them down. <laughs> I have to bring the cooler down. <laughs> so I think if we could find a way where we constantly, I think one of the things I, I tell people uh, at the end of your day, you know, sit. I always find try and find times. I said at the end of the day to sit down to have those mindful moments and to think about my day. And and I go through that and I say, you know, what were as I look at my day, what are some things that I'm grateful for? Um, what are some things that happened today that I'm grateful for? And um, if we talk about happiness, you know, when you think about there are some things that happened today that I would have, I hadn't thought about this. I would have just gone by. And also, what are some things I need to do tomorrow to express gratitude? And it might be a note. Uh, it might be, you know, and I'm going somewhere. I got to say something to somebody. It might simply be a phone call. But it's, it's the whole way we approach our, our days and our lives. And, it doesn't matter how old you are to do that. You can be doing that at 20. You can be doing it at 15. You can be doing it at 70. You can be doing it at 85. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's just life, your, your age is a perspective. What do you do at that age? Um, what you're doing at whatever age you are is really speaks to who you are. So how can our listeners find you in your writings and uh, you know, get that spark that sometimes they're looking for. Um, well, they can they can find me uh, at I have a website. Uh, it's called embracethechallenge.org. Uh, so they can go there, and um, my my blog is there. Everything I've written for five years uh, is there. Um, the book Before I Sleep: The Incredible Power of Journaling. 
that's available on Amazon. Um, they can go on LinkedIn and uh, look for Rick Wolf and they'll be associated with uh, founder of Embrace the Challenge. Uh, it was a company I started um, about five or six years ago. Um, so that, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. I love the name to embrace the challenge because <laughs> so many of us, you know, we see a challenge in front of us and we try to turn around and go the opposite direction. Um, when I started Avoid the Maze, that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to face more challenges because mm. it makes me feel good, even mm -hmm. if I stumble along the way. Mm -hmm. Powerful book. Um that I read uh, probably uh, about six months ago, uh, Ryan Holiday's, um, The Obstacle is the Way. That essentially says obstacles are nothing more than opportunities. It's, it's how we choose to deal with them. Um, the concept of Embrace the Challenge uh, as a company name uh, came from an experience I had when I was, um, I think it was 62. Uh, I went to a leadership training program at uh, Marine Corps uh, Re Recruiting Depot, Paris Island uh, for a week. And it was a leadership program, but it was interesting because for part of the day, I really was treated like a Marine recruit. And we had to physically participate in things. At the very end of it, we had a little obstacle course they wanted us to complete, not I was 62, and I was bound and determined to complete this thing. We got to the last obstacle and I froze because the last obstacle was a seven-story tower that we had to climb and rappel down. And I'm definitely afraid. I, I'm just not good with heights. I hesitated, and this uh, a major who I'd um, been doing some things with came over and said, Wolf, what's wrong? And I said, sir, I'm afraid of heights. And he said, Sergeant Major to this, <laughs> to a Sergeant Major, came over to me and said, talk to Wolf about fear. And the Sergeant Major got in my face and he said, um, we wrap our arms around fear. We embrace challenge. And he said, if you do not go up that tower and come down it, it will haunt you for the rest of your life because you will never have this opportunity again. And he said, embrace the challenge. And I went up and came down. And when I left, I actually came back and I was still at that time, I was an assistant superintendent of schools. So I shared that story on our opening day with the faculty. And I said, you know, one of the things that we need to do is if we think about this, for a lot of people, and especially even our kids, every day is a challenge. So I said, let's take advantage of this. And I said, what I'm going to start to do, I said, at least with me, I want you to do this. And if you want to take it further, you can. I said, the most common question we are asked every single day is, how are you doing? So I said, from now on, whenever you ask me that question, I'm going to simply tell you, I'm embracing the challenge. Well, that started to spread. And all of a sudden, there were, when I was going through the high school or going through buildings, and I would say to kids, how are you doing? I would have kids saying to me, I'm embracing the challenge. How so, wonderful. So it's, it's really, again, it's a, it's a philosophy. Um, <clears throat> it's part of my mindset, as I will call it. Um, <clears throat> challenges are good. They make us feel alive. So every day I embrace them.
whether it be some people call them obstacles, I call them opportunities. Well, I give you kudos for um, going up that tower because <laughs> I too am terrified of heights and I don't think I would have done it. I may have been sorry for the rest of my life, but I think I just really would have frozen and not been able to do it. But you know what? I haven't had that challenge yet. So we'll see what comes along the way. Yep. Um, because there are other things that I too have been extremely fearful of. And, you know, I've, I have faced it and didn't have much of a choice at the time. And mm -hmm. afterwards it was, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> and I did it. So for all of our listeners, if you didn't catch on how to find Rick, look in the show notes because all the information will be there. Uh, again, I want to thank you for joining us and uh, giving us a little perspective on, you know, why each of us might exist. You know, it's up to us to identify it, find those core values. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, those values can change and that's okay. Um, yep. Because we are constantly evolving until that mm -hmm. last breath that we take. We're constantly becoming better versions of ourselves. Very good. Have a okay. great day and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye now. Take care. Bye-bye.